don't know the word Scott? Welcome to America, friend. Learn music. Welcome to another episode of the Rudy Librarian Podcast. I am your host, the Rudy Librarian himself, Brian. Yay! Well, once again, I'm so excited to uh, have another episode of the Rudy Librarian Podcast. And my guest this week is uh, not just a, a, a musician and uh, uh, what's the, I don't even know what term I'm looking for here. Not just someone that's, you know, big in the ska community, but he's he's a friend and uh, Gary and I, uh, so I'm talking about Gary Mestriano from Backyard Superheroes. Uh, welcome, Gary. Let's let's go with that. It's true. This is Gary Mastriano from Backyard Superheroes, and I'm not just a friend. I'm also big in the ska scene. Huge, huge in the ska scene. <laughs> huge, huge. Yeah. I'm I'm like the CFO of ska. Yeah. That and that's a that's a big position. I mean, like yeah. you know, you're the guy that goes to court if you mess up. So don't mess up the ska scene. Oh boy. Uh, it's on your shoulders now. I, I'm, I'm super excited to, to have you here. Uh, when I started designing how I wanted to kind of lead into the Rudy Librarian podcast and kind of pick out my guests, um, I started with the people from the bands that first got me into ska. I had Leonore from Five Iron and Joe from The Insiders. Um, those, those, those bands and the Supertones were the bands that got me into ska. And then I kind of went into... Uh, Jason Zimet and uh, Taylor from Pick It Up because Pick It Up really brought me back to ska. But once I got into the new ska scene and started really investing, there's a handful of people that really made me feel welcome in the scene. And you're one of those, Gary. So I wanted to make sure that I got the opportunity to chat with you early on because you, I think, are instrumental in me diving so deeply into ska and loving it the way that I do now. So let me start out by saying thank you for that, dude. I thought you were going to say there's a handful of bands and people that I like, but none of them would want to be on. So I got Gary instead. <laughs> yeah. After I went through them uh, and their <laughs> managers and <laughs> those kind of people, uh, some people suggested you. I went with you. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. Those people are really nice. But thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Being in the ska scene is, I never really considered myself in the ska scene, but I guess, uh, I guess I kind of am. Yeah, it's, the ska scene is kind of a unique scene. It feels weird to call it a ska scene, but it's there, and it's and it's and it's its own unique thing. I've just liked and loved ska music for my whole life. Not my whole life. I'm sure we'll talk about for how long, and I have a fun story about it. But um, I just liked it so long, and then it's like, uh, you know, a scene has developed around me. Let's say that I am in the middle of the scene. It it blossomed around me. I'd like to say that. Okay. <laughs> well, let's let's start then by talking about something completely unrelated. Gary, when did you get into Scott? Oh, wait, that's completely related. But mm, when did mm. you when did you first encounter uh, Scott music? How did you get involved in Scott? Um, I was hanging out in Kingston with Don Drummond. Um, he was a trombone player and he's like, hey, man, I'm trying to start this new band. Um, thinking about starting it up. And I'm like, oh, that's cool what should we call it? And he's like, we should call it the satellites. And I'm like, nah, we should call it the Scottalites. And he's like, cool. And then that's, <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of where it started for me. I was, uh, I was in the Scottalites and, um, you know, actually like, I really like the Scottalites a lot. And when I was in, um, 
in high school. I'm going to get to the, the, your question in a second. But when I was in high school, I named my saxophone, which I haven't ever done since, but my name, my high school alto saxophone, Margarita. And it was called Margarita because that was the name of Don Drummond's girlfriend that he killed and went to jail for the rest of his life. I believe that's, yeah, I think through the rest of his life, Don Drummond was the founding member of the Scottalites. So um, I, I don't know why I decided to do that or tell that story, but here we are. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's a dark, that's a dark intro. Uh, yeah. We're taking me. a, taking a turn to the left here down, down, uh, down murder Hill, I guess, but that's, that's all right. That's all right. We can do whatever I we need to do. I would say, I'm going to tell this, I'm just going to be really verbose today, Brian. I so, I'm sorry. Go for it. Bring it. Um, my love of ska music started in, I think, the year 2000. But let's back up to the early 90s, shall we? Yes. And if you say in the year 2000 again, <laughs> I'm going to have to follow it with the Conan. In the year 2000. Especially in honor of him going off the air. Anyway, go ahead. So I was never really big into music for most of my childhood. I didn't really dig music. I liked rest pro wrestling. I liked Star Wars. And I liked horror movies, which I still love all three of those things. Um, so when I was getting into music, I was going through my mom's record collection. And I saw a band that combined Star Wars and pro wrestling and horror movies. And they were called Kiss. You might have heard of them. But if you combine all three of those things together, that I think that perfectly sums up Kiss, which is my favorite band and still are my favorite band. But I got into them right around the time that they were having a reunion. And uh, I was devouring everything Kiss. I bought all the merchandise. I had all the action figures, all that stuff. I was 10 years old at that time, 1996. Um, and I started listening to Kiss and then more classic rock and then got into like grunge and stuff that was a couple years earlier, I was a re I was really into Nirvana. Like I was that that kid who was like, Kurt Cobain is the greatest person who's ever lived. That was me for a while and way after he passed away. Um, but then I got into like, you know, whatever was popular at the time, new metal. Uh, I love Limp Bizkit. I've, I just bought tickets to see Limp Bizkit this summer for the second time because I love that band. Um, so anyway, I was into all that stuff. Um, but I was also a theater kid and I was hanging out with some other theater kids who were like, hey, you should come to this this punk rock show um, at this firehouse this weekend. And I'm like, oh, I've never really been to a show before. That sounds awesome. I'll give it a shot. Um, so went to see my first show in the year 2000. Hit it. In the year 2000. And the bands playing were this uh, New Jersey punk band called Knuckle Sandwich. Um, and a Florida punk band called the Spit Valves that had a horn section. Actually, they were a ska band, uh, a ska punk band, but they kind of had a little bit of rapping. The singer rapped a little bit, so it was kind of like a new metal-ish mix with ska punk. And it was the first time I'd ever seen a ska band live, and it totally changed. Like my, I'm like, wow, this is so cool. I had heard ska before, but you know, as a kid, you're just like, oh, that's just what's on the radio. That, no different than this, you know, Backstreet Boys and you hear Mighty Mighty Boston and you hear Blink-182 all in a row. You're like, you don't think that there's different genres or anything like that. Um, so that I was in, what, a freshman in high school. I, I went to that show and it totally changed my life, right? I was a guitar player. I was a pretty good guitar player. 
And I'm like, I want to play a horn because playing a horn in a ska band seems like the epitome of cool. Spoiler alert, it is. And um, <laughs> yeah, so I, st I picked up trumpet and I was horrible at it. So <laughs> I started playing saxophone because I already played clarinet. So um, they're similar. And that's it. That's how I got started. The first ska band I ever saw was a band called the Spit Valves from Florida. And I remember like, I had them sign my CD and I bought their shirt and that shirt still fits me, which is weird because that was 20 years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, it was really, anyway, that was a long winded answer. I, I just wanted to brag about how much I liked Kiss, by the way. No, those are all awesome things. And I'm going to, I'm going to ask, do you, so I'm assuming you still have the spit valve CD. Did they put out more music? Did you continue to follow the spit valves? They did. So the first album is called fine print at the bottom. Um, I think it came out in 2000 and then they put out another album in 2003 called um, Moving On and then they broke up kind of after that they're not active anymore I think they broke up in 2004 or so which is a shame because they're a really really excellent band and I recommend everybody check them out um, the singer is in a different band whose name I don't remember off the, the Attack he's in a band called The Attack I think that's what they're called who Backyard Superheroes which is my band actually played a show with and I didn't know that he was in that band and they were, we were one of the opening bands. They played later than us. Um, and I'm like, dude, that looks and sounds like the guy from the Spit Valves. And it was. And that was really cool. That was a really cool moment. That is that is awesome. So you got into ska from them. And then how did your love of ska blossom? <clears throat> yeah. So I just kind of sought out everything that was that I had missed from third wave ska. Um right around this time the Boston's put out the album pay attention which is my favorite Boston's album that might have been yeah i think it was 2000. so i was with a group of friends who were a little bit older than me already into the punk and ska scene so they were bringing me to shows every week i saw a ton of local bands i saw the Boston's play i saw real big fish play less than jake all the bands that i still see play got really deep into third wave bands um and of course, start exploring like the two tone and first wave stuff, which I don't like as much. I'll be completely honest. I know people it's probably not an un, it's probably an unpopular thing to say, but third wave all the way for me. Um, if you were like a late 90s band that had out of tune horns and a punny name, you are my favorite band. I like that 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 fun aspect of it. So, yeah, just went down that path, played in my first ska band called Beam Me Up Scotty, S-K-A-T-T-Y. Yep, it was awesome. That was my high school ska band. Good stuff. And um then got, you know, in kind of different aspects of the culture and just kind of exploring all the bands. And yeah, and New Jersey is uh, always had a has always had a vibrant, vibrant ska scene. I'm going to be like that, that uh, hipster right now. I saw Streetlight Manifesto before they were popular. I saw one of their first shows. So, you know, no big deal. <laughs> That's good. It's important uh, to brag when you can. Uh, we have so few things we can brag about in life, you know. I can brag about a lot of things. I believe that. I believe <laughs> that. <laughs> so okay, so uh, so your first band, Beam Me Up, Scotty. I know, of course, and we're gonna get get to this a little bit more here in a second. Backyard Superheroes. Were there other ska bands in between? Dude, I've played. I just did the math the other day. I've played in nineteen bands. Give me okay. Well, no offense to all nineteen of those, but throw out a few that people might be aware of, or that people could still find music of, or if you've got um, any of those. Backyard superheroes. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so the rest are all smaller. I mean, there's. I've been. I've played with a bunch of stuff. Oh, Inspector Seven is a really massive band, a New Jersey ska band that I was in, and I grew up loving that band. So, um, played with them 
for a while. And then just played in a lot of different ska and punk bands and reggae bands. But I, I play like up to 10 inch. Yeah, I play 10 instruments. I don't know why I say up to 10 instruments. I play like 10 instruments. So um, I didn't always play saxophone in bands. I played a lot of bass, a lot of guitar. Um, yeah, so I do a lot of different stuff. But um, I think Backyard Zubri was probably the most well-known of that group. Yeah, and and I, I remember that you had told me Inspector Seven, so that's that's what I was looking for. It, it, the survey says Inspector Seven, and the tile tile flips, and you got the most points there. Um, but yes, also backyard superheroes. So l- let me let me ask. You play up to ten instruments. You said, uh, what are those ten instruments? We know saxophone. You've mentioned guitar and bass. Saxophone, guitar, bass. Let's see. I got to count them off. Clarinet, flute. That's five. Harmonica, melodica, um, ukulele. Uh, let's see what else. Banjo, and maybe I only. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe I only play nine instruments. I lied. Only nine. Geez, that's rough. Um, the <laughs> the the. I've heard the banjo is difficult to play too. So that's impressive. It's super difficult. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't say I was good at it. I just know how to play it. Yeah, fair. I have a guitar hanging on the wall behind me that I don't know how to play. I so, see. It's a it's a baby blue Telecaster. Yeah, it's a it's a uh, one of those. What am I trying to say here? Squire bullet Telecasters mm-hmm. made by Fender, um, and it's great and it sounds great. And I'm not good, um, but I can I can play a little. Um, I also have a bass hanging where you can't see it. I can play a little bit more than the guitar, but still not well enough that I feel confident. Uh, hey, you're, one day. you're playing. That means you're better than a lot of other people. It's funny because uh, I, I played clarinet in like school band, but I, I started playing guitar when I was like 10 or 11 years old. And I got, I'm, if I could pat myself on the back, I'm actually a pretty good guitar player and a bass player. I would say that guitar is probably the instrument I'm most comfortable with, even though I went to school to play saxophone but in my in my school and in my town there was like three or two other guitar players who were just like light years better than me and and uh i was like "Mm, all right i'll just be like the rhythm guitar guy but let me pick up saxophone because i already know a guitar player for a ska band and believe it or not nobody really wanted to join a ska band in like 2002 so i'm like let me just learn saxophone so i can be my own horn section fair fair and it's 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 cool being you know having that knowledge i would assume only helps the songwriting process and and, and all that with your band I, w- I would assume that's helpful yeah totally so i'm able to uh, josh who's the singer and myself um and becky who's the other singer write pretty much all of our music um so i'll come in with like a uh, usually like a riff or a guitar part or something like that and say, hey, Josh, do your Josh thing to it. So it's able, it's good to already have that, like you said, established knowledge and, and a base for something. So let's talk about Backyard Superheroes and <laughs> sort of the the founding, the the creation of of Backyard Superheroes. How, how did this, how did this happen? So like I said, I've played in 19 bands, but that was in a, a really condensed amount of time. There's times that I've been playing at like five bands at once. So there was a period about 10 years ago where I, I hadn't played in a band or I was playing like bass in a reggae band or in a, like a cover band just, just to do something. But I wasn't really active as a musician. I was focusing on work a lot and just had other things going on in life. 
so I wanted to get back into to playing ska, and I'm like, ah, let me let me let me pick up saxophone again. I probably hadn't played saxophone in like two years, and this is after college. And like I said, I went to school to study saxophone, so kind of put it down. Just didn't do it for a while. Um, so I was on Craigslist because I was looking to buy a tenor saxophone. I had been an alto player my entire life, and I had never played a tenor saxophone before. So I was on Craigslist trying to find a tenor saxophone to buy, and I saw a band saying like, hey, we're starting a new band looking for uh, horn players. And I go, oh, okay, cool. That's convenient timing. So I messaged them. And it was Josh from Backyard, who's obviously in Backyard Superheroes now. And he's like, yeah, you know, I just got out of a different band. I'm looking for doing like a, a more pop punky ska band. I'm looking for some horn players. Um, and we're going to be called the Snowball Effect. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's an interesting name. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll give that a shot. Like, let's let's get together. Let's jam. And before I even got to the first practice, he's like, oh, we're changing our name to Backyard Superheroes. I'm like, oh, don't like that name at all, but okay. <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, we're going to go with a gimmick where we're all going to like dress up in costumes all the time, do like an Aquabats type of thing, which is cool. Like I like the Aquabats and I obviously like I'm a very dramatic person who likes to dress up and be goofy and stuff all the time. But at the time, for whatever reason, I'm like, nah, I don't really like that. That sounds goofy, but I'll give it a shot. So I joined the band. I went to their first practice. Um, the The rhythm section had already been established. It was they had a drummer, two guitar players, and a bass player. And I was the first horn player to join, along with um, another trombone player who's no longer in the band. And um, from that first practice, which was April two thousand twelve, so nine years ago, um, the bass player, the two guitar players, and myself are still in the band, which I think is pretty pretty awesome. And we wrote a couple of songs and we played our first show in May, 2012. And they're like, yeah, we're gonna all dress up in costumes. So I already had a 1960s Burt Ward Robin costume that I used for Comic-Con um, with the green tights and the little green short shorts. So I wore that and um, it was you know, infamous because there's still a lot of pictures of that online. And um, it was really fun. And then by the second show, everyone's like, no, we're not doing costumes anymore. But I'm like, uh, but I already like I had created a new costume for that. I had like this Angus Young schoolboy costume with like a backyard superheroes homemade patch on it and like little black short shorts and a, a black cardigan. So I'm like, I'll just stick this out. I'll just be the guy who wears costumes in the band without people with costumes. And that's kind of evolved over the years to me just being the guy who wears short shorts for like hundreds and hundreds of shows. Well, and you ride bikes, so you've got you've got good legs for it, right? I, yes, I do. I have very nice legs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Uh, I do what I can. Uh, that's awesome, man. So when did the when did the lineup of backyard superheroes that we know now? When did that sort of c cement itself? Well, just like most ska bands, I don't think you ever cement your lineup. Um, we've had uh, literally, I think, like eight different drummers three trombone players, two trumpet players, kind of rotate a lot. But the the group that we have now has been together for three years. So we've had a, a good group for three years, which is a, a long time in ska band land. That's awesome. And you guys sound great. Uh, I've, I've obviously enjoyed your music. And I have to say that uh, I'm really looking forward to the new music because the last track you guys put out is fantastic love it so much thank you yeah um 
working on some new new music, looking to do an album next year. Um, a lot of fun surprises. Um, so just pay attention to uh, what else we got going on. Um, but thank you. Yeah, fun is definitely the way I would describe that band, right? It's or my band. Um, we definitely want to just be a fun, energetic band. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, although I will say in the new music video, the uh, Chucky uh, thing is creepy as heck. I am I am not a horror movie person. I think we've discussed this before. Uh-huh. Um, I'm a big baby when it comes to horror movies. Uh, and uh, like I, I'm the guy that went to see like Resident Evil with a friend. Uh-huh. And that's not even a horror movie. It's just like a scary action movie. And I jumped and my friend made fun of me for like three <laughs> weeks. Um, that's that's me. I had a recurring nightmare every Halloween for multiple years after watching The Lost Boys. So oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Um, Is that why you don't like Monster Squad? No, I love Monster Squad. <laughs> oh, okay. You do? Yeah. Do you think Monster Squad is better than Goonies? Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to throw out here for those who are not aware, um, and we're going to get to this as well, that Gary and I have another podcast. And in that podcast, we have an ongoing, I don't know if it's a joke, a debate, or just um, hate, but, <laughs> but, but uh, in which we debate whether uh, Monster Squad, the uh, you know seminal 80s classic, is uh, better, the same, or worse than The Goonies, another seminal 80s classic. Um, I am, uh, it's hard for me. Monster Squad was my first ever PG-13 movie. Uh, absolutely love that movie. My dad recorded it straight off of uh, HBO onto a tape, gave it to me for my birthday. Uh, um, but the Goonies is like an all time favorite that I, you know, I watched both of those over and over and over. So uh, I do love the monster squad and I know you love the monster squad. I do. I, I, I don't know if you've had this challenge with the monster squad, but anytime I try to explain that movie to someone, the only like, if I'm not sure if they've seen it or not, I always have to go to the one scene. Is it the Wolfman's Got Nard scene? It's the Wolfman's Got Nard <laughs> scene. So uh, again, for those of you who may not be indoctrinated into the world of Monster Squad, which you should be, um, there is, uh, in brief, this group of preteen boys that have to break into Dracula's house to find an amulet in hopes to send Dracula and the other monsters into an alternate dimension called Limbo to save the world. And as they're creeping through this house, Wolfman jumps out and is growling at them, ready to kill them. And there's two boys there. And one of the boys says, kick him in the nards, kick him in the nards. (laughs) The other guy says, Wolfman doesn't have nards. Just do it, do it. And so he does. And Wolfman crouches over holding himself going, Oh, and he says, Wolfman's got nards. Of course he does. He's a man. And that's and that's the scene yeah. that everyone remembers from Monster Squad more than any other scene, I think. And then there's the uh what is the line? Give me the amulet, you bitch. Isn't that the line from that? That is the line. Yes. Yes. Which yeah. is terrible because he's saying it to like an eight-year-old girl or something or six-year-old yeah, girl. Yeah, well, Dracula, Dracula's evil, man. <laughs> right. So Monster Squad is fantastic. So uh, let's – so yes, the Chucky thing creeped me out. And I think that's a perfect segue then 
Sorry. To talk about your don't love. watch our next. Don't watch our next two music videos that we're working on. I'm for sure gonna watch them still. <laughs> oh, okay. The thing about the Chucky thing is, there's this video that I saw online one time, where uh, I mean, it didn't like give me nightmares or anything, but I just find Chucky creepy. But there's this video I watched online one time where these this um, little person dressed up like Chucky and hid inside one of those posters at like a train station. You know how they have the big poster advertisements? Yeah. And the lights like flicker and then he breaks out of the poster oh, and like man. chases people off the train station. And... Um, I felt nervous for those people. I'm an empathetic person. I used to, um, for all of middle school, high school, and then like the first half of my 20s, I worked at a haunted house in my town around Halloween. And I want to preface this. I do not like Halloween. And that's a topic for a different day. I do not like Halloween. But I worked okay. at a haunted house at Halloween. And um, everyone tries to be really, really scary. And I was like the really goofy tour guide. I was a tour guide. So I'd lead you through the haunted house, right? And be like, this is where this guy died. Um, but I was like the really fun one. And everyone would request to go with me as opposed to the scary ones. Cause I would just make it, you know, make it light and fun. I don't know what the point of that story was either. Again, just bragging that I worked at a haunted house. And to me, that's impressive. Yeah. The last time I went through a haunted house, I was maybe five and <clears throat> I, it was it was a haunted house at Six Flags, and it was all the movie characters. So there was like Freddy Krueger, and so and when I was five was like 1987. Okay. So uh, Freddy Krueger and uh, Jason and Michael Myers and all that. We got through the whole haunted house, and I was terrified out of my mind. And then right when we get to the door to leave, the chainsaw massacre jumped out. Okay. And I kicked him five times in the leg. <laughs> And then Leatherface left. got nards. Yeah. So I feel terrible for people in haunted houses because I'm sure that happens often. Yeah, last haunted house I was in was before the pandemic. We went down to uh, Universal for Universal Horror Nights that they do like every Halloween. Um, those haunted houses are terrifying. Yeah, they do. They do a really good job. Those are probably the best haunted houses I've ever been in. Have you ever heard of these like extreme haunted houses that you have to pay like a hundred dollars and sign a waiver, and it's just you walking through a haunted house and they can touch you? Have you ever heard of those? I have not, and there's nothing about that that sounds good to me. They do them in New York City, and um, I've always been so tempted to go. They're like so incredibly intense, and it's you by yourself in like a haunted house and they can like touch you and torture you and stuff. It sounds a little weird, but like I've heard they're like an amazing experience and I, I just, I want to do it eventually. No, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> um, I am. If you've seen that video of Jimmy Fallon and Kevin Hart going through a haunted house, I I'm Kevin Hart in that scenario. <laughs> like, so, <laughs> I'm, I'm not okay with it. But but that I think this is a good segue for us to talk about uh, another thing that you're involved in, uh, and it relates to these universal monsters. Is you have a podcast uh, that is about universal monsters. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the podcast first, and then I want to ask you some questions that relate to it. Sure. So um, one of the many podcasts I host, Brian, because we ha I have just so many, um, is yes, the Monster do. Monster Rally podcast, and this has actually been like a podcast I've wanted to do for such a long time. Um, I grew up loving the 1930s, 1940s 
um, black and white horror movies, Dracula, Frankenstein, The Mummy, that type of stuff. So I, there was no podcast around that really talked about that. And I'm like, oh, I just start one because I, I think it's fun to talk about those. I love watching those movies. So I started a, a podcast with a couple of my friends. And at the same time, literally the same week, I swear, two other podcasts with the same exact concept started. It was in January of this year. It's so wild. And now we're all like podcast rivals. But called the Monster Valley Podcast. We go in chronological release order for the Universal Horror Monster movies. We actually just recorded couple nights ago and released um recently the episode about the wolfman from 1941 starring lon cheney jr so it's a ton of fun there's about 50 movies that universal released between the 30s and 40s and their monster um you know line and once we get through those we're going to dive into some other fun stuff like monster squad or the brendan frazier mummy movies etc so yeah that's that's one of the fun podcasts i do and i think that's really cool because i think like when I think of those universal monster movies, I can only think of about four or five. So the fact that there's like 30 something or whatever is fascinating, you know? Dude, there's like six Frankenstein movies. There's like seven mummy sequels and they're all like varying levels of quality, but they're just super fun. And what I also think is interesting, at least at least on one occasion, you guys have connected to the literature related to it too, right? You've yeah talked about or read the literature so early on specific uh definitely with those like dracula frankenstein the invisible man those are all based on books of course right and eventually they would move away from that um but a lot of those early movies were based on books um obviously dracula by bram stoker mary shelley's frankenstein hg wells invisible man etc um so we did like i read those books again, revisited them right before we did the episodes. So we talked about, you know, the differences between the books and the movie, which there are a lot. And um, funny, interestingly enough, and you probably appreciate this as, as a librarian English teacher guy, Mary Shelley is a character in Bride of Frankenstein, which I always thought was interesting. That is interesting. I always love the story of how like Frankenstein was written, right? Like a bunch of like famous writer type friends get together and hang out and like, basically have like a, a a a competition over who can write the best story you know best scary story or whatever so and, that's the scene that's in bride of frankenstein that oh, opens yeah? that opens bride of frankenstein it's it's they're they're like well and they're also kind of sexist about it they're like you're a woman you can't write a scary story and she of course writes frankenstein and interestingly enough the that actress who plays mary shelley elsa lancaster also plays the bride of frankenstein so it's it's pretty fun that's cool that's cool yeah i so I, as much as I don't like scary movies, I have always loved scary books. And I will, I will say I've gotten a little bit more tame uh, over the years. But so like the idea, you know, I saw so I read Dracula really, really early in my life. I don't even know how old I was. Um, but um, and we're going to talk more about books here later. But um, I, I was definitely the kid that was reading all the R.L. Stein Fear Street books mm -hmm. and Christopher Pike books and Stephen King books and and all that. And so um, those even those classic horror books appealed to me because I wanted to see where did that sort of where did the horror genre kind of grow from, you know? Yeah, I, I, I it's funny you say R.L. Stein because I was so I was that age of like when Goosebumps hit in the early 90s. That was my everything like. He was putting out a new book every month and that was so exciting and I would get it. And I, I vividly remember like staying up 
the night I would get that new Goosebumps book and reading it all in one sitting because they're like 200 pages and I would stay up late and read that book and it was just such an exciting time. Um, and then that launched me, of course, into reading Stephen King and all, you know, Christopher Pike, all the stuff you just you just mentioned. But um, man, I still have a special place for R.L. Stein. Did you? Okay, so did, uh, I'm. We're just gonna go in whatever order, you know. Normally, I try and save the book stuff for the end. But did you ever read the Fear Street books? Um, I read some of them. Uh, mostly stuck with like the Goosebumps, and then by the time like I was ready to move on from Goosebumps, I was already reading like I was really into like Stephen King, Michael Crichton, you know that type of stuff. So never read a lot of Fear Street books. You know, a Fear Street movie series is coming out this like today. Is it today? Okay. I think it comes out July 2nd, July 3rd. So yeah, there's a the first one on Netflix coming out. So I was going to bring that up. So for me, and, and I'm a little bit older than you. So like, I think uh, I did read some Goosebumps books, but I think that the Fear Street was more popular earlier on. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of why I was into them too, you know? And it was a little bit, it was a little, it skewed a little older too. Yeah. So I think like probably when you were really getting into the Goosebumps books, I was into the Fear Street books because I was a few years <laughs> older, you know? Um, and the, and the, what one of the things that was so appealing about those books is that you could get them for crazy cheap at Walmart, you know, right. or Albertsons or whatever. They just have the mass market paperbacks. And so every time we went to get groceries, I was like, mom, can I have a book? And like, <laughs> she'd spend four or five bucks and get me a book and I'd read those. But yeah, I'm again, not a horror fan, but I'm for sure going to read, going to watch the uh, three Fear Street movie trilogy uh, without my kids around. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'm super excited for that. And they have, from what I can tell, it looks like they have three members of Stranger Things in those movies, or at least two. Really? I haven't. I actually haven't watched any previews. I've kind of avoided them. So, like, Maya Hawk is in one. Okay. And I really like Maya Hawk. And then um, I'm going to forget her name, but she plays, like, the older sister in Stranger Things. Um, oh, she's really cute. <laughs> I forget her yeah, name. I don't yes. remember her. I don't remember her name. She um, dates the ice cream guy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, I'm excited about that. So okay. Uh, so we've talked about the Monster Rally podcast, which is awesome, and I really uh, encourage anyone if you're even remotely interested in those Universal monsters. Um, my conversations with you, Gary, uh, you're incredibly knowledgeable about them, and that, and I find it so fascinating all the details that you guys. Uh, talk about on your podcast. I don't get a chance to listen to it every week, but I do listen to it when I can. And I am just constantly fascinated by the details that you guys cover. Thank you. So go listen to that. So then we also have to talk about our podcast, uh, which is another thing that you do, uh, which is, uh, and this is, this is sort of how our friendship blossomed. Uh, this is, this is what I tell people about how I got to know you. Um, I started doing the Rudy librarian around the time of COVID hitting and uh, doing YouTube videos and that kind of thing. And uh, I, a couple of times I would do, cause what I do, you know, I do these YouTube videos where I do book talks and I would talk about a Star Wars book because I collect Star Wars books. And after probably my second or third or something Star Wars book, I got a message from you um, that was like, you like Star Wars and Ska, we should be friends. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then we were. <laughs> that was it, it, yeah. And it wasn't long after that that you were like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this podcast. Do you want to do it with me? And I said yes. So t tell uh, 
my audience here, my massive audience, the thousands of listeners at home, uh, about what we do on on our other podcast and what the name of it is. So the cross-section of people who like Star Wars and Sky is probably pretty broad, but the cross-section of people who like Star Wars novels and Ska music is probably a little bit smaller. So it's a little bit more of a niche, right? People, everyone likes Star Wars movies, but we're those really hardcore Star Wars fans who, who read all the books and the comics and whatnot. So um, that, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that we connected on that. Um, so we host a Star Wars podcast. Let's get real nerdy with it. It doesn't focus on like the Mandalorian. We talk about that. It doesn't focus on the movies. We talk about those. It focuses on Star Wars literature and a specific like publishing series of Star Wars literature called The High Republic, which is something that they just started this year. So it just focuses on this really specific um, part of Star Wars, which I think is really cool. And we, our podcast is called Starlight Beacon, um, which is named after one of the uh, locations in this High Republic era of Star Wars. And um, we started that also this year. So we just started a whole bunch of podcasts this year. And we've been doing it for for most of, yeah, for pretty much six months, seven months now. And it's been really fun to get to know Brian that way, but also talk to a fellow Star Wars fan. Um, and we have differing opinions. And Brian always brings a terrific perspective. He brings that, like, you know, um, literary mind perspective to a lot of things when I'm just like, hey, it was really cool that they had lightsabers. And Brian's like, well, the lightsabers represent their feelings for their family. I'm like, oh, I didn't think of it that way, Brian. I just thought the lightsabers were cool. Um, but yeah, Starlight Beacon, check it out if you just want to hear us chat and, and BS, but also if you're interested in Star Wars or Star Wars literature at all, I, I recommend it. Yeah. And so what's been so fascinating about that is so like you grew up, as you mentioned earlier, a huge Star Wars fan. And for me, <laughs> I liked Star Wars. It was, it was good. It was cool. It was whatever, you know, it wasn't like huge on my radar and, um, I had a cousin who I really kind of idolized who was really into Star Wars. So that kind of made it a little cooler in, in my mind. Um, but I kind of got into Star Wars because I was my son was interested in it um, when he was like, I don't know, two. And I was like, my son likes something nerdy. I must invest everything into him liking yep. this nerdy thing. And so I found out there were Star Wars books and I started to read them and I got hooked. And then my son, as many two year olds do, lost interest almost immediately. Right. But now I was I was hooked. So when we talk about Star Wars, you've got this huge breadth of knowledge from a lifetime of reading and watching Star Wars stuff. And I don't necessarily have that. I have read a lot of the what's called canon books, which are the books, you know, after Disney bought Lucasfilm and they started kind of they said all the books that had been published previous to that, you know, were were. were legends and and what really mattered was the books that were published after they owned them and so these books kind of tell stories in between the movies and around the movies and also not at all related to the movies um so i had read a lot of those but my knowledge was limited but kind of like you said i i do think about things a little bit differently the lightsabers don't have anything to do with the family but whatever <laughs> <laughs> but i do think about things a little bit differently because i teacher i'm an english teacher and so i'm constantly trying to teach my students to think about, you know, things like symbolism and, and that kind of stuff in a way that doesn't feel like a drag because that can become a drag, like just symbol hunting in books and stuff. But uh, it's, it's been really fun and interesting. I would agree uh, talking about those things with you. And, and, and one thing 
that anyone who really knows Gary knows that Gary is like the king of the hot takes, right? <laughs> so, like if there's a wrong opinion to have, uh, most people would say Gary's got it. But <laughs> I don't think I enjoy such that. thing as a wrong opinion. <laughs> um, sure. Okay. So <laughs> no, but I love it. So I actually shared, I was going to tell you this. While I was I was in Missouri this last week visiting my family, my extended family, and I got to talking to that cousin that loves Star Wars growing up, and we hadn't talked about Star Wars since the sequels, the the newest sequels have come come out, you know. So we're talking about all that, and I'm talking about our podcast, and I mentioned that Gary really loves Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, man, it got weird. It got weird for a minute. I was afraid my cousin was going to disown me for being associated with you. Um, but we got into a conversation about it and talked about how we loved Ewoks and people who love Star Wars previous to Return of the Jedi thought that the Ewoks were like Jar Jar, you know? So it was, it was, it was interesting. What, what do you think about that? Um, Jar Jar Binks is awesome. He's probably, let's, let's get real nerdy for a second. He's probably the mo one of the most integral characters in the lore of Star Wars because it's his, it's by his vote that Palpatine gets full control of the Senate. So that's pretty important if you think about it, if you know uh, a lot of the prequel lore there. But um, I, was, I was into Star Wars since I was about four years old. I saw New Hope at a neighbor's house on VHS when they were having a party with my parents. Like here, sit in this room and watch uh, watch this movie. And they showed me a New Hope, and I was like, "What is this? This is amazing!" And then I saw Return of the Jedi after that, and I was like, "Well, this is." I was four years old, so it wasn't confusing to me. I was just I, was, I didn't care. And then I saw Empire Strikes Back, so I saw them out of order. Um, but I, I vividly remember seeing Phantom Menace. I got an opening night tickets, you know, the first showing, whatever it was, with with a couple of my friends and their their parents, and I was like thirteen years old. And I remember calling my mom. And I remember calling my mom when I was sitting in the theater on, I guess one of my friend's parents had a cell phone. This is the early days of cell phones. And I said, mom, I'm actually in the theater about to see a new Star Wars movie. And I cried. And I was like, this is the most amazing experience. And to this day, there's two theater experiences that stand out to me. And it's the when I saw Phantom Menace that time and then the first time that I saw Force Awakens. Um, but going back to Jar Jar, uh, I love Force. I love Phantom Menace. I think it's a, a super underrated movie and gets a lot of hate it doesn't deserve but we talk about this a lot brian and i think you and i are both in the same camp with this we like the weird star wars um we like the quirkiness of it and we like how like goofy star wars can be sometimes and that's the side that i really gravitate to is like this is a weird kooky galaxy um and that's why i like jar jar binks i think he's just a, a goofy fun character who um you know george lucas tried something and he always was was about being adventurous and being brave and trying things that might not be popular. And that's how kind of I envision Jar Jar Binks. Well, and it's so interesting how people get so up in arms about certain characters or whatever. Right. And then there's other characters that are weird and quirky or whatever. And they're just like, no, that one's okay. You know, right. like, like Jar Jar Binks, cut his head off, kill him, throw him in the road. Babu Frick. Now that guy's, that guy's awesome. You know? Right, right. And the Star Wars fandom is uh, not always a really welcoming or pretty or, or nice place to be. Um, you got to really cut through a lot of the noise and a lot of people are really loud about what they don't like. 
Um, and I think that is because so many people love the series so much and have their perception of what it should be or what, what should have happened or this character would never do that. What you have to realize, and not you have to realize, but what people have to realize is like, you're not the writer for Star Wars. So you may have your head canon and you may think you know what should happen, but you're not the writer. So you're not the person who gets to create it. And I think that's that's why people get upset and hate movies like The Last Jedi or hate the the, the Disney era Star Wars movies in general or the prequels because they're like, this is not what I thought should happen. Or I read in a magazine in 1987 that Anakin fell into a, a volcano, but he actually didn't fall into a volcano. A volcano like just got on him, whatever, right? Um, <laughs> lava just fell on him. He didn't actually fall in. This is ridiculous. Uh, you know, Ray is too powerful. Blah, 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 blah. Um, it, again, it's just people who who love it so much and are so passionate about it, um, but also make it kind of toxic and make it kind of not fun um, to be a Star Wars fan sometimes. Yeah. And, and, you know, and unfortunately, it's like that in so many different communities. And what I love is when you can distill those communities down to like their purest form, you know, like I love talking to Star Wars fans who just <laughs> love Star Wars and don't care about everyone's opinions you know just love what you love and let people love what they love i love the ska scene when it's like that you know when which so is say, sometimes it's not right so say, same kind of thing you know sometimes there are people that want to get loud and and argue <laughs> about what's ska and what's not ska or how you should only like you know original ska or two-tone or how you you know i don't know all, all that kind of noise and like I just love it so much when we're just enjoying the ska scene and the bands that bring us happiness, you know? Yeah. I mean, I feel that way sometimes even with new bands, it's like, well, you can only listen to the new bands. Like, why do you keep listening to real big fish? Who's my favorite band? Um, I can, I bet you I can name more ska bands than most other people on the planet. Right. I listen to nothing but ska and I find all these obscure ska bands, but I still love real big fish and they're my favorite band. And that might be corny and people might say that that's lame because of course they are like, they're so goofy, but I don't care. They're my favorite band. And I like that style of music. So uh, I, sometimes I get a lot of flack for liking goofy third wave ska music. I like the checkerboards and the Hawaiian shirts. And that's just what I like. Like you said, just like what you like. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't take away from the other bands or doesn't take away from the modern bands. Cause I'm in a modern band. Um, but I like what I like. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, you know, I, I love that Aaron uh, Carnes in uh, In Defense of Ska had a chapter about uh, Real Big Fish and kind of defending Real Big Fish because I do think of like all the Ska bands, they seem to get the most crap. And at the same time, I know I've heard lots of people that are in the Ska scene right now who have talked about how Real Big Fish has been supportive of them, has taken them on tour. Um, Tara and and uh, Tara from uh, uh, Half Past Two. Uh, I was listening to her in a podcast recently, and she was talking about how instrumental Real Big Fish was in Half Past Two getting started. And you know, so to me, I think that's what is so cool. I mean, first of all, their music's good, so let's just start there. Yeah. Uh, second of all, they even though they are kind of silly, their lyrics are often like way more serious than a lot of people give the you know pay attention to. And then third of all, they're investing in other ska bands and supporting other ska bands and helping other ska bands to be successful. Absolutely. And that's that's the biggest thing. Um, I've seen them now exactly 40 times. 
and they've had so Holy many young cow. yeah i've seen that across the world i've saw them i've seen them in different countries and different states everything um but they are investing in other bands like i saw we are the union toured with them stack like pancakes toured with them tip the van when they were first starting out like toured with them and these are like you know not a lot of other ska bands at their level and i don't want to name drop any but there's a lot of ska bands at their level that don't take out younger bands and really fish for the most part tends to always bring a younger band if they can. And we, my band Backyard Superheroes has opened for them plenty of times. They've been nothing but awesome. Um, really gracious, always watch our set and talk to us. And that, that that's really cool. A lot of, a lot of other bands don't do that. I was a little bummed. And so this is a, this is a, an anti example of that, but I was a little bummed. I had tickets for them and Aquabats coming to Dallas. Um, so obviously that's not bringing a, a younger band, but, <laughs> sure. um, but I've never seen either of those bands and, um, I had tickets to see them and then COVID ha happened. And so, um, I got refunded for the tickets, which is, is, is great, but, uh, I really hope that tour comes through or a tour or, 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 or that tour with some younger bands, you know, we, we need more than two bands. Um, I would love to see for sure. Both of those bands. I would too, because I've actually never seen the Aquabats. They're like the last ska band on my ska band bingo card that I've never seen. I was at a Real Big Fish Aquabats show um, with a friend of mine, and she got um, a little out of control, and I had to leave during the Aquabats, so I've never seen the Aquabats before. Yeah. Well, here's hoping, you know, I feel like ska's in a lot of ways come back stronger, even during COVID, like huge growth. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that that means more, more great tours. Um, we've sort of come full circle with the ska thing. And so I've got to, I, I always try to ask my uh, uh, guests one specific question, which is if you could kind of shout out a ska band that you don't think gets enough attention, um, can be an older band that no longer exists that people need to know about, or could be a, you know, a new band that people don't know about that well, um, or is not maybe as big as they, they should be, who would you want to shout out? Can I give you a couple? Yeah. Um, older bands that are not around anymore, I'm going to say The Heat Machine, which is a, uh, a ska band. I believe they're from Nebraska. Um, two female singers, a la Dancehall Crashers. Um, but they're just excellent. So if you're a fan of Dancehall Crashers, you're going to love the band The Heat Machine. They put out one record, and it's fantastic. It's in one of my favorite records. Um, another band that's not around anymore that's a little bit more mainstream, but Jeffrey's Fan Club. No one ever talks about Jeffrey's Fan Club. And if you like Real Big Fish or any of that OC ska, check out Jeffrey's Fan Club. They're so good. Um, another band from the past couple of years that I really like that's unfortunately just recently broke up is a band from... Uh, I'm going to say Tulsa called the last slice. They are just uh, maybe the best ska band, like best ska punk ska pop band I've ever heard. They're so good. Current band. Sorry. That's all a bunch of bands that aren't around anymore. Current band um, band that nobody talks about and should, because they are the best ska band on the scene right now is, is this band from uh, Wisconsin, uh, Milwaukee called something to do. And they are in Incredible. They're like a ska pop rock band and they just have been, they put out a bunch of albums. They're kind of under the radar and they are fantastic. So please, everybody listening, just check out the band Something to Do because they are mm, chef's kiss. 
amazing. Yeah, you recommended to me um, at one point, I think we were just trading bands and we, and we do that sometimes, although you, your knowledge again is, is much vaster than mine when it comes to ska as well. Um, but you recommended to me something to do and the third rates. And I was not disappointed by either of those recommendations. Yes. I definitely checked them both out as a result of you shouting them out. So yeah, third rates are fun. They just put out a, a recent album that I really dig. And I like, um, you know, there's a lot of other bands. I, I love half past two. You mentioned Tara. Like I adore that band. I like, um, bite me Bambi. Um, it's a really cool band. That's not around anymore. They weren't from San Diego, but their band name was Classy San Diego, like the quote from Anchorman. Um, check the, right. if you guys can track down Classy San Diego; they're really good too. Yeah, man. Uh, I I'm, I'll have to try and, and find them. I know that you and I were both um, like messaging each other in eager anticipation for the arrival of our Bite Me Bambi albums, mm -hmm. and you got yours quite a bit earlier than mine because <laughs> I just barely got in there and got one. Um, but, uh, I'm so glad that I have that album in my vinyl collection. So, uh, awesome. Here, here's an awesome cross section of kind of the things we were just talking about. I went on a work trip a couple of years ago and I travel a lot for work and you always got to make the most of your trips, right? So I get to plan my travel. I get to pick where I go and when I go. So of course I plan it around either seeing baseball games because I love baseball or going to concerts. Like if I want to see a band and they're in a place that I have to go at some point, I will go there. I had to go to California um, for a week a couple years ago. So I went out there and I, it was around Halloween time, 2019, it was 2018 or 19, I don't remember. But I went to California and um, Real Big Fish was playing at the Anaheim uh, House of Blues right in Disneyland. So they were playing with the, the Maxis and Bite Me Bambi. And I'm like, well, I have to see Bite Me Bambi. I've, I've been into this band for a while and I really want to check them out. So I took a day off from work on Halloween and went to Disneyland and went to Galaxy's Edge and bought some Star Wars Funkos Pops and then ate a really good burger and then went to see Real Big Fish and Bite Me Bambi um, at the House of Blues. And that was really awesome. That sounds like an incredible show, man. It was a perfect day. Like you can't think of a better day than that. Okay, so uh, I'm going to ask this question just because I, I don't know if I've asked you this yet. And it's getting, uh, we're in an interesting period right now because um, COVID is, I don't know. <laughs> is COVID ending? It's COVID, COVID is, is, regular COVID seems to be kind of on the on the run, but then we've got maybe this new wave of COVID. And, and so some people are, are, you know, a lot of the restrictions are down and people are getting back into life, but at the same time, we're trying to be safe. Um, so what do you, do you have any plans for a first show to go see, um, or a concert that you're going to go see, uh, to get back out there and see some ska bands? Um, hasn't been, there haven't been any ska shows announced in my area yet um i'm a couple hours about six hours away from virginia where they're doing supernova ska festival and don't know if i'm going to be able to swing that might we were invited to uh to come as guests because we can they didn't have a spot for us to play this year we've played a, a couple times before um so we have passes to go so i'm wondering if i want to go or not um that would probably be my first ska show i'm sitting on like the thought of going to some concerts again because they've started announcing big shows. So like 
my friends and I are like, should we go see Guns N' Roses who are playing and, and Kiss is playing on their farewell tour. So I might go to those shows. Um, Ska, though, nothing nothing big. I'm working on booking some shows, and Backyard Superheroes has a couple in the works, and we we have one show announced already. But um, as soon as Real Big Fish announces a tour, I'll probably plan my work travel around that tour. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, if they come to Dallas, uh, hit me up and we'll go see them together. The, uh, if you ever travel, I don't know if you travel to Texas for work. I can. Well, then let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I will say I've got, I know I've got tickets again. This was, I bought, I, I normally buy like, maybe I buy tickets to one concert a summer. And then last summer I was like, oh man, there's so many good tick concerts. I bought tickets to three cons concerts. And then COVID hit. <laughs> and I was like, the one time I buy this many tickets. So I bought tickets to like the Pop Punk St- not, uh, Still Not Dead tour, which was like Newfound Glory and Simple Plan. Okay. Um, I bought tickets to the Real Big Fish Aquabat show. And I bought tickets to the Hella Mega tour with the Interrupters, uh, uh, Weezer, Fallout Boy, and Green Day. All of those, uh, you know, all those concerts got delayed. Two of them kind of canceled and refunded. Um, and, uh, but I still have tickets and it's supposed to happen here at the end of the summer, uh, to go, or, you know, what is this July 1st? So later this month, the end of this month to go see the interrupters, uh, Weezer fallout boy and green day. And I'm super, super excited about that show because I've never seen any of those bands Oh wow. and I, and I have loved, uh, you know, Green Day's Dookie was the first punk album I ever heard. And um, I've loved Weezer, you know, since the Blue Album and uh, liked Fall Out Boy quite a bit. They, I was, they were a little bit later for me, but I did like them a lot. Um, I, I love Dance Dance for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> and a few other big hits. Um, but also I love the Interrupters and I'm excited to see them play live. Can I tell some stories real quick? Please do. Um, I've never seen Weezer or Green Day, but Weezer is one of my favorite bands of all time. But Backyard Superheroes have played with Fall Out Boy and the Interrupters. So we played a festival with Fall Out Boy, and they were really cool. We got to kind of just say what's up to them. They were cool. Um, Interrupters, we've played, I think we played with them a couple times, maybe two or three. But we played with them a very infamous show that happened in in a bar here in New Jersey. Like a a decent-sized music venue was sold out. Because this is when the interrupters were just blowing up right after, I think, their first album. So they had Take Back the Power. Was that on their first album or second album? It was right around when that that song came out. So they were just about to blow up. We got, we played with them. They were really cool. Really, really cool. But one of the, uh, the people in the crowd had pepper spray on them. Like a, a can of pepper spray. And a fight broke out right in front of the stage. And a guy pepper sprayed another guy in the face, but he missed and he hit Amy interrupter right in the face with pepper spray. She's the singer of the band. Um, so the show was stopped and like pepper spray was everywhere and the police had to come and, and people were getting checked out by the paramedics. And while this was happening, the interrupters, Amy had just gotten sprayed in the face with pepper spray, by the way, came out on the sidewalk where everyone was just kind of hanging out and, and speaking with the cops. And they started playing an acoustic set. They played the rest of their set acoustic on the sidewalk. And that, that, that was really, really cool. That is cool. You know, I, it, it, there are these situations where bands are put in like sort of an awkward place and they have the opportunity to either be amazing or 
really damage their fan base. You know, I think of like uh, Foo Fighters, right? When Dave Grohl broke his leg and yet yep. continued to, you know, came back from the hospital and finished his set, you know, and uh, and then did a, a, a tour where he sat and played. You know, I think of those kinds of things. And then I think of like, you know, Guns N' Roses, whom I love, <laughs> who does not have that reputation. Right. You know, right. Uh, and have had some infamous shows that have led to, you know, like when uh, what someone caught on fire. In James Metallica. Hetfield caught on fire because they were opening for uh, Guns N' Roses and, and Axel was a punk about it and didn't want to play. Yeah. How do I follow that guy catching on fire? I can't do anything <laughs> right. that's cool. It's like, right. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, th those are really special moments when the band does something like that. So that's super cool. And like I said, like everybody in the ska scene that we've encountered, we've played with. 99% of them are really, really cool. Really, really cool. And that's that's I'm really happy to say that. And I've never been in another type of scene, really. So I can't say if that if everyone's like that. But and Scott's kind of like, hey, we're we're all in this together. So we're all just going to be pretty cool. Yeah. There's one or two assholes that I've met, though. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'll try and do better. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk uh, just for a minute about books. We've already mentioned uh, horror books. We've mentioned Star Wars books. Are you a fan of reading other kinds of books? What do you read? Anything else, dude? I've been a re I've been a, an avid reader for my entire life, starting with those Goosebumps books when I was young. Um, I've probably read even now. I probably knock out about a book a week. So I read I read pretty often. I run a book club too, by the way. So. I don't think you and I have ever talked about the fact that I have my own book club. I have a book. I have two. I have one at work where we read like work centric books. And then I have one with my friends where we read books that are about to be turned into movies. So we read the book and then we go see the movie, which is fun. But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very big reader. I mostly read a lot of Star Wars, but I also like, I've been really into like detective, like dad books recently. So I've been reading a lot of like Jack Reacher and Jack Ryan and a lot of guys named Jack who are detectives or spies um i've been reading a lot of the the ian fleming james bond books which are really really rough to read i don't know if you've ever read those rough like violent or just like um or, or uh, written uh, in a time when women were not valued <laughs> written in a time where women and minorities were not valued and he makes it very known yeah i'm not surprised by that <laughs> So, uh, so let me let me throw out there, and uh, some people will probably not appreciate this this recommendation. But I don't know if you've read any of the uh, Robert Galbraith books, the Cormoran Strike series. I haven't. No. So those are written by a guy named Robert Galbraith, which is really J.K. Rowling. Um, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So she wrote this adult mystery series under the pseudonym, in hopes that they could just be their own thing, and yes. she wouldn't be uh, cashing in on the Harry Potter popularity people figured out it was her bef before the first book had been out for more than a couple of months wow and um they are phenomenal um they are definitely not harry potter a lot more mature a lot more violent a lot more language a lot more like corman strikes not necessarily a great guy in, in a lot of ways um uh but they're so interesting and uh i haven't read the newest one because i'm honestly having a little bit of a, a trouble with how I feel about JK Rowling. Um, but 
uh, I probably will eventually pick it up because they're really, really well written. So yeah, no, uh, I, I, I we're a big Harry Potter household as well. Like my wife's really into Harry Potter. We got our own wands. We have the books, et cetera, et cetera. So we're we have that conversation as well. Um, the books still hold a special place in my heart, though. I really enjoy them. Um, you know, it, you mentioned that J.K. Rowling does that. Uh, Stephen King did that with Richard Bachman, too, which I always thought was fun. And those Richard Bachman books, like, you could tell they're Stephen King, but they're also very tonally different than what his normal writing is. Yeah. Stephen King is is a lot broader than people think, because, you know, not only is he, you know, Tommyknockers and, and uh, Carrie and, and Pet Tommy Tommyknockers was your go-to Stephen King book? <laughs> It just pops into my head, <laughs> but he's uh, <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Carrie and, and pet cemetery. And, and there, you there you go. Um, but he's also, you know, like uh, Shawshank redemption and the green mile. And yeah, he's a better, and I love Stephen King. I, I really do. And I've read pretty much everything he's ever done, but he's a better short story author than he is like long form novel. Yeah. Sometimes I think he, he, one, he can't write an ending. It is one of the scariest and best books ever written with a terrible ending. Um, and two, like he he has so many ideas. Sometimes he crams them so much stuff into a book. Like, all right, this is a little bit bloated. Like, I don't need a 5,000 page version of The Stand. I just don't. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you, uh, it is something I will never read or watch because <laughs> not, only, not only do I not like uh, scary movies, but I don't like clowns, so... I'm out. Brian, I don't know if we've ever talked about clowns before, but you know that I applied to go to clown college, right? Please tell me you're joking. I'm not. Like, I grew up, my dream was to be a, a clown. Well, it's been a fun friendship. But <laughs> I'm, afraid I'm not kidding. I really wanted to be a clown growing up, and I still do. Uh, that's cool. I've gotten over the clown thing a little bit, but not not much. <laughs> and I, as far as the Harry Potter thing, I do still have... My sister actually made me a, a wand display she bought like a this fancy etching printer thing and made me a wand display i i have four more wands i need to buy to fill it out and i will um but i ha it ha i have i have 12 wands right now holy cow so so you you'll find this fun my wife and i each have our own wand and we got character wands so she got lily potter and i have voldemort so there's some there's some subtext there maybe about our relationship <laughs> that, like, yeah, people, that a psychologist yeah. could really dig into. Yeah, I've got um, oh, I'm probably not going to remember everyone's name right now from here, but I've got Newt's like from Fantastic Beasts. I've got Newt's Commander. I've got both Queenie and Tina Goldstein, and I've got uh, Newt's brother, uh, whose name I can't remember right now. Um, and I've got Dumbledore's wand before he has the the elder one then i've got the elder one i've got harry and jenny weasley i've got uh mr and mrs weasley and i've got my favorite wand which is remus lupin's and i've got nymphadora tonks's wand and the ones i'm still going to buy i'm still going to buy hermione and ron and i'm going to buy neville and luna that is all. I did not know that about you. Look, we learned something new. Do you know that I wrote a 65-page paper about Harry Potter in college? 
No. For my, honor, for my honors bachelor's thesis. Wow. Yeah. That'll be podcast episode two with Gary. We'll just talk <laughs> Harry Potter the whole time. I'm good with it. I'm good. We can start our Harry Potter podcast. So I, two more questions. Um, well, one's a question, one's sort of uh, an activity, and then we'll wrap this up. No, my question is, do you have a favorite book? And if so, what is it? I do. Can I give you my runners up? Though? <laughs> sure. My top 12 are. <laughs> my top 33 books are. Um, some books that have really stayed with me. Uh, Catcher in the Rye. Um, I've read that every couple years or anytime I'm at like a personal impasse or something going on in my life. I feel like I need to revisit that book because that's a book that grows with you. And I feel like you have a different perspective on that main character every time you read it. Like as a teenager, I'm like, I'm holding Caulfield because I'm misunderstood and I'm deep. And uh, this is how I interpret that character. Then I read that again in my 20s. And I'm like, well, I interpreted that wrong. And then I read it again in my late 20s or early 30s. I'm like, oh, Holden Caulfield's a jerk. I wouldn't, I never want to be like him. So that's a book that I just find fascinating because it, it changes every time you read it where you are in your life. And I really associated with that character when I was younger. Um, I really like The Perks of Being a Wallflower. That's a book I loved in, in high school that really stood out yes. to me. Um, again, that was, I felt like I was that character for some time. Like I was hanging out with a little bit of older crew, like that this scene where they go see Rocky Horror, like that. That was my life, like hanging out with my older, cooler friends, taking me to see Rocky Horror, driving around at night. Like that was that really relate. I really related to that. Um, I love uh, Catch. Not I said Catch in the Right. Ready Player One, by Ernest Cline. That book is a book I've reread so many times. I did not like the movie. I, I hate to sound like a, a you know a gatekeeper on that movie, but I was not the biggest fan of the movie. But that book is so much fun. And I prefer his other movie, Fanboys. Yes, that's how I got. That's how I found out about Ready Player One because I was a fanboy's fanboy, <laughs> and then I was. I'm like, oh, this guy wrote a book, and it was before that book blew up. Because I'm that cool, by the way. I'm that cool, right? Um, and then another author that I really like. Have you ever heard of Chuck Klausterman? Yes, yes, he wrote some great books. Fargo, Rock City, I really enjoyed. But uh, his book, Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, is it hasn't necessarily aged well. There's some really kind of icky stuff in it, but it's it hit me at a time where like I was like you know, impressionable about my pop culture tastes and, and I enjoy that. But all that being said, my favorite book of all time, do you know what it is, Brian? I don't, I don't know if I know what it is. I don't think I've ever told you what my favorite book of all time is. It's Douglas Adams. Oh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Or is it? No, it's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I didn't know if it was one of the sequels there. So long no. and thanks for all the fish or something. Yeah. Uh, Restaurant at the end of the universe. Like there's so many different books in that series. Uh, it's a, a five part trilogy. That's how he, he described it. <laughs> and that right there explains 100% why that's my favorite book. Because he wrote a five part trilogy. Because those books, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy specifically, is so quirky and so fun. And just a book I could revisit so often. I adore that book. So that's my all time favorite book. There's a teacher down the hall from me that is a big fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I used to have this little like hand towel that said, uh -huh. uh, stay calm and remember your towel. Yeah. And, and I gave it to him. It was a Hitchhiker's you know, uh -huh. reference. Yes. And I often reference the meaning of life from Hitchhiker's Guide. So it's 42. That's right. If only we knew the questions. <laughs> so, okay. So the other thing I wanted to do. I really enjoyed doing this with Taylor and I don't think I could do it with just anyone. 
Um, but we went through and kind of ranked the, uh, well, talked about the X-Men movies. I named an X-Men movie and he just said whether he thought it was good or bad. I want to do something a little bit different with you. And it's not, uh, you know, I, I said earlier, we were going to get back to Superman. I'm on a DC kick right now. Um, I just got done reading the return of Batgirl omnibus by Gail Simone, which is like a 12 or 1300 page comic book. Uh, it's like her whole run on Batgirl. I am currently halfway through reading the uh, Justice League New 52 Omnibus Volume 1, which is like 1,500 pages. Um, but I go through these so fast, and I really need to be reading our Star Wars book. <laughs> <laughs> and I really need to be reading a book for work, too. But uh, I'm going to finish this Justice League. So I'm on a DC kick, which, and I, I mentioned this on Facebook the other day, and we kind of talked about it. But I want to talk Batman movies. And so what I want to do... Conversation always comes up with me. <laughs> I, well, well, obviously, you, another, one of, an, another one of your hot takes is, I'm going to let you mention it here in a little bit, is what you often refer to as your favorite Batman movie. Okay. But what I want to do is sort of rank them. And so I'm going to name all the Batman movies, and then kind of we'll both get an opportunity to kind of share our order of what we think is the best Batman movie to the worst Batman movie, okay? Or worst okay. to best, however you want to do it. So just just the ones we're going to use, uh, 1966, Batman the movie. Okay. Okay. Uh, 1989, Batman, uh, Tim Burton, Michael Keaton. Okay. Uh, Batman Returns, uh, also Tim Burton, Michael Keaton. Then we've got Batman Forever, which is Val Kilmer and uh, Joel Schumacher, right? Yep. And then we've got Batman and Robin, uh, which is George Clooney, Joel Schumacher. Yep. Uh, then we've got the uh, Batman Begins. This is the first of the Christopher Nolan series. Uh, the Dark Knight. Dark Knight Rises. Then we've got Batman versus Superman. And we've got Justice League. And we'll use... You can, you can rank separately the original Justice League and the uh, Snyder versus Justice League, if you'd like. Um, we will leave out the Suicide Squad, even though or Suicide Squad, even though he had a brief part in that, and even though it is very Batman adjacent, we'll leave out uh, um, Birds of Prey. Um, I think Matt Vest was uh, not a fan of including those in this lineup. So, so those are the movies you've got to work with. Um, can you tell me your order? You can go worst to best or best to worst. Can I can I say that the animated DC movies are excellent too, and everyone should watch those? Oh yeah, I Batman. literally w watched two of them today. What did you watch? I watched War. Yes. Because I'm reading through the New Fifty Two Batman, a lot of the more recent ones come straight from New Fifty Two. So like War is the first Justice League <laughs> trade paperback, and I mean there's changes, but it's it's basically that. And then I watched uh, Throne of Atlantis, which is like another early volume of the Justice League in the New 52. Yes. So, so definitely recommend Batman Under the Red Hood if no one's ever seen that. That's a fantastic one. Um, and Batman Mask of the Phantasm. I mean, pff, come on, Mask of the Phantasm is perfect. But let's go. You want me to rank mine? Yeah, you go first, and then I'll share mine. The worst is the Josh Whedon Justice League. Strong, strong statement right <laughs> off the bat. The worst. Um, after that, I'm going to go Dawn of Justice. 
And I like Ben Affleck Batman a lot. I really like Ben Affleck Batman a lot, but that movie just didn't hit for me. Um, people are gonna, people are really gonna hate me after this. Then I'm gonna, <laughs> then I'm gonna put the Tim Burton Batman as my third worst. Okay. That I, I was too young when that movie came out. I was three years old, so like I didn't, I wasn't in the 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 big like cultural movement of when that movie comes out, and I respect that. But that just movie has never sat with me. Um, then I'll put Batman Returns. Same reason, but I actually saw that in theaters, so I put it a little bit higher than the Tim Burton Batman. Then I will put Batman Begins. I think it's good. I think it obviously was like a stepping stone to the, the movies that came after. Um, so yeah, I'll put Batman Begins there. Then I'll put... Man, okay, then I'm going to go Dark Knight Rises. Again, Dark Knight Rises, I think, is a really great movie. And other than Star Wars, I think it was the movie I was most hyped in my life to see. Um, so I was really stoked for that. And I still think it's really great. There's just there's just some plot points that when you think about them too hard, you're like, well, well that doesn't make sense. But I think it's a great movie nonetheless. All right, now we're getting to the top tier. So I have four, four movies left here. I'm going to go in fourth place, Batman 66. I love the Batman 66 show. Um, I watched it with my dad as a kid. It's still my favorite version of Batman is the Adam West Batman. Um, that campy, fun stuff is great. Leading me to my number three movie, Batman and Robin. I don't think anyone's ever had Batman and Robin as number three best Batman movie on their list. <laughs> but if you guys have learned anything about me, it's I just like fun, goofy stuff. And that movie is the epitome of fun, goofiness. And I adore that movie. And I could watch that over and over again. So now it's one and two. And this gets really, really difficult. Because one, I think, is clearly the best Batman movie, and one is my favorite Batman movie. And those are different, right? You, you know that, like, your best, the best versus your favorite are different things. Sure. So I'm going to put my favorite Batman movie at number two, and that's Batman Forever. And I love that movie because I grew up loving Jim Carrey. That came out at the perfect time when I was nine years old. I saw it in theaters four times that summer. I still have my Batman Forever collectible cups from um, McDonald's. I have the Riddler and Two-Face, and I drink whiskey out of them whenever I'm, having, whenever I'm having a glass of whiskey, which is not that often, so they really get, you know, they stay they stay in the cabinet a lot. Um, I love Batman Forever. And then number one is The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight's the best superhero movie ever made and will always be the best superhero movie ever made. And is a movie that I walked out of at 2.30 in the morning when I saw The Midnight Showing and just felt the need to call everyone I knew and said, you have to see this movie. And I did. I remember being on the phone till 6 o'clock that morning after I saw that with my friends. And we were just saying, talking about, like, this movie is going to change things. Obviously, it did. Um, and I feel like every superhero movie since has not lived up to that. So to me, The Dark Knight is the best Batman movie ever made, the best superhero movie ever made. Um, but if I had to sit down and watch a Batman movie, I'd watch Batman Forever. So where do you place, you didn't mention this one, but that's okay. Where did you place the Snyder Cut? Oh, the Snyder Cut? Um, I like the Snyder Cut. I'd put that probably above the Burton movies for me. Okay. Uh, and so one more quick question related to that, and then I'll share my, my opinions, and we can kind of uh, wrap up. Uh, how do you rank your Batman? Affleck, Bale, Adam West, Kilmer, 
key in Clooney, but I do think Clooney is the best Bruce Wayne. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> I, I like, so let me, let me say this too. I think that like, I like that your opinions are different. You know, like that's what, if, if all of our friends have the same opinions as us, that's boring. Right. Mm-hmm. So also, um, the, the, I, I always mention this podcast I listen to a lot called uh, Magnified Pod. Those guys are great guys. I'm, I'm a part <laughs> of the community there, and I really, really appreciate all those people. One of the things they talk about a lot, because th- what they do in their podcast is they go back and listen to, you know, these punk CDs that were in the Christian rock scene in the 90s and early 2000s. And um, sometimes they're kind of brutal on on those albums. Like they're like, that's, you know, talking about how the album's not good or the band's not you know, or the lyrical content's not good. And um, people get upset. What they always try to say is like, usually they don't actually hate the album, but they're like, you know, we're having a, we love all the songs on the album, but we have to talk about what we like and don't like about it. So I feel that way when we're talking about like Batman, right? Like there's not a Batman movie that I don't like. Um, There's some I like less than others, but I like all the Batman movies. And I own all the Batman movies and I've watched all the Batman movies over and over. And I I think that's, I get that from you too. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, when you put the Michael Keaton Batman movie down low and Batman forever up high, it's not because you think Michael Keaton Batman is, is garbage. It's just not your, not your cup of tea. So, which is cool. I'm interested to see when the Robert Pattinson one comes out because I, I don't know. I'm not sure yet if I'm going to like it. It looks even darker than some of the Batman movies that we've already had. And I like I like my Batman fun and not as dark. Yeah, but I but then of course I put Dark Knight as number one because I can rep, I can respect art, right? Right. So here's here's mine, and I'm sure people will have problems with mine too. Um, Matt West, I'm looking forward to hearing your perspective on this after you listen to this episode, if you if you ever listen to it. Um, but. So for me, um, bottom of the barrel is going to be the Joss Whedon Justice League um, as well. Uh, Again, so many things I really liked in that. It gave us Ben Affleck, who I think is a great Bruce Wayne and Batman. Um, And um, But ultimately for me with that movie, uh, all the highlights were in the trailer before we went to see it in the theater. So like we already knew Wonder Woman was going to be in it. We already knew Doomsday was going to be in it, you know, which meant we already knew Superman was going to die. You know, are you talking so, Justice League or are you talking Dawn of Justice? Oh, that's Justice League. You're right. I'm, I'm talking Batman versus Superman there when I say that. So, um, yeah. Okay. So let me back up. Yes. Justice League is still the bottom. Uh, the reason the Justice League didn't work is, is just the tonal shifts, you know, um, there were things that just didn't fit with anything that had been created in the DCEU so far at that point um, that were not good. Some of the humor was good. I mean, there needed to be more humor in the DCEU. But then there were other things that you were just like, what? Why? Why Why is that there? That just doesn't fit. Um, and it didn't, it didn't feel like it went together. Um, and to be honest, I got frustrated later you know, because the reason that Zack Snyder left was a pretty sad reason that he had to leave Justice League because he had a, a kid who committed suicide. And then to come in and completely change his movie, I think, is, is a bummer. I mean, that may have been what he was instructed to do by WB. Right. But 
It's garbage. So probably next worst is Batman and Robin. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Batman and Robin may be lower for me even. Um, Bat- Batman and Robin is pretty bad. And and here's my biggest complaint about Batman and Robin, and it's not going to be anyone else's biggest complaint. They destroyed Batgirl, and I'm s- such a huge Batgirl fan. Um, I mentioned I just read the Return of Batgirl omnibus. Ever since Yvonne Craig first showed up on the 66 Batman and her sparkly purple Batgirl costume, yep. I have been obsessed with Batgirl. And uh, even though I like Alicia Silverstone, they just destroyed that character. It was nothing that it was in the comics. So also Bane is an idiot, (laughs) complete idiot. Um, But Mr. Freeze, man, come on. Yeah. So I get, I, I vision, I envision Mr. Freeze from the animated series and that's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I do appreciate certain things like some things that would probably really annoy other people to me. I appreciate, like I appreciate the, all right, everyone chill. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. So, okay. Uh, let's move on. Um, uh, so then probably is, is Batman versus Superman for the reasons that I mentioned already. Um, uh, then I'm going to go. Um, I think then I'm going to go with 66 Batman, even though I grew up on it and really loved it. Um, it's a little bit more campy than I like. Um, then I'm going to go probably with the, um, probably going to go Batman forever then after that. And I, I again, I love Batman forever. Uh, that, uh, that has such a killer soundtrack too. Um, nice. who, who didn't sing along to kiss from a rose or, Love me, kill me, through. Love me, kill me, kiss me, throw me, whatever that is. Love me, throw me, kiss me, kill me. Yeah, whatever. Um, and then I'm gonna go with uh, probably the the Snyder cut. Then I'm gonna go with Batman Begins. Then I'm gonna go with Batman. Then I'm gonna go with Batman Returns. Then I'm gonna go with the Dark Knight. And my favorite, and in my opinion, the best Batman movie, Dark Knight Rises. And for me, Dark Knight Rises is phenomenal in so many ways. It brings so many stories uh, from the comics together. Um, my biggest frustration from that movie is what they did with uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. I wish they would have just named him tim drake because that's basically who i think he was intended to be right um my favorite thing about that movie is anne hathaway as catwoman she is the best catwoman to me the most comic accurate catwoman um i really liked her so and my batman Um, good i was just gonna say uh julie newmar man i had a crush on her when i was little oh yeah yeah, I'll give you that too, uh, for sure. Um, but I, I was, uh, I had a crush on her. But, but the Catwoman, the Anne Hathaway Catwoman, I think plays her so smart, and Catwoman is so smart. She's always seems to be ahead of everyone else, 
mm-hmm. you know, like that scene when they sit down in the restaurant and um, she's giving the guy the fingerprints and he's supposed to give her, you know, something and he tries to betray her, but she's got, you know, uh, a senator there that's already, you know, missing. <laughs> and she's got someone on the phone that can bring in the thumbprint and then she shoots the gun into the air and screams and acts like she's a victim. I was just like, that's genius. So my Batman are uh, best, best to worst. Uh, best, best Batman for me is Ben Affleck. Best, best Batman and Bruce Wayne. Um, second is for me is going to be Michael Keaton. Third is going to be um, uh, Christian Bale. Fourth is going to be Val Kilmer. Fifth is going to be George Clooney. And last is going to be Adam West. Uh, ouch. Ouch. Not because, it, again, just because 66 is not. Uh, I love it, but it's not my favorite Batman. And I definitely grew up watching it. I, I own the whole series. But anyway. I'm going to so, I'm gonna have to come back on again soon. We'll have to do this with Spider-Man. And then I'll tell you why. I don't like any of the Avengers movies, you know, interesting stuff. <laughs> yeah, that'll be an interesting conversation for sure. And I'll be interested to hear your takes on the Spider-Man movies. Um, and uh, because any, I feel like, and I'm not going to necessarily say if I agree with this or not, but I feel like anyone who believes that anything other than Spider-Man two is the best Spider-Man movie is instantly maligned. Like I would agree with you but I think Spider-Verse could make a good case for that. Yes, that's animated. So if you're going to throw that in, yes, I think Spider-Verse is the only other one people will accept. But now, yes, Spider-Man 2 is excellent, as is Spider-Man 3. Well, that's all that we have time for today. Uh, no, I'm interested, I'll am i be looking forward to having that conversation. Uh, man, I, I, I am so thankful for you making time to hang out with me. I know we're going to make time to do a podcast for our Star Wars podcast here soon. Um, but this was fun to me, this conversation. And although we've been doing podcasts together and texting and, and hanging out, you know, virtually uh, for, you know, a year now, I feel like I learned a lot about you today. So I'm excited about that. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, this is this is awesome. I, I love being on. And um, if we weren't podcasting, we'd probably be texting anyway. So absolutely. And so <laughs> uh, I want to encourage people to go check out uh music in my mind the newest uh, backyard superheroes song it's available on bandcamp right now right and itunes spotify yep oh did you guys put it up on itunes i know you didn't for a while because you were doing charity we did yep all of our music is on itunes spotify bandcamp that's where you can find everything sweet well music in my mind is the newest song and i, I love it uh l- l- let me throw this out here real quick I, we didn't talk about this and i'm just going to say this in passing another thing that i really love about backyard superheroes you guys do so much stuff for charitable organizations. When you released Music In My Mind, uh, at that time, it was only on Bandcamp because you were raising money for a charity, right? Yep. And you re- uh, released a line of clothing that was sort of rainbow tie-dye. You were raising money for LGBTQ community uh, in, uh, in organizations there in New Jersey. Um, you guys have done a ton of stuff like that. You did, uh, you personally, uh, we're deeply involved in uh, putting together a Christmas compilation that raised money for charity. Um, so I really want to honor that. 
Um, Appreciate that. Yeah, that means a lot to me when you have a platform like that to use it for something. Um, we've done Toys for Tots for nine years in a row. We've worked with them at Christmas. We did the LGBTQ um, charity for Music in My Head, and we have we have another charity song coming out in October, and then our album is actually going to be really tied to a charity as well. So excited for that. Very cool. Uh, also want to encourage people to listen to the Monster Rally podcast, uh, which you can access through um, all your favorite podcast you know, venues. Uh, I, of course, want you to check out the Starlight Beacon podcast, which is the podcast that Gary and I do together, also available everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, Gary, also another thing we didn't really get into, uh, and I meant to, is Gary's been doing some work uh, on the uh, Patreon exclusive uh, stuff for um, on the Upbeats podcast. Uh, so, do you want to talk about that just for a minute? Sure. Um, so, if you listen to on the Upbeat, which is a Scott centric podcast, um, Matt and RJ do some really great stuff there. They started a monthly Patreon for four dollars a month. You get two extra episodes, um, one with Matt hosting where he interviews um, different members of the Scott community. But he hasn't had me on yet because he's afraid. Um, and then also a podcast with me <laughs> and RJ Phoenix. And we have a podcast called Comically Rad. It's like a comic book um, book club. So we just started that and it's, it's super cool as well. Yeah, so definitely want to encourage people to um, hook up with uh, On The Upbeat's um, Patreon. It's really cheap. It's like only four bucks a month uh, to, to join their Patreon. And you get all these awesome extra uh, resources. Uh, so obviously Gary's busy. He's got his band. He's got Monster Rally podcast. He's got Starlight Beacon podcast. He's got the comically rad uh, extra content for On The Upbeat's Patreon. I have and, a wife uh, and a daughter and a job. <laughs> Right. And those things. <laughs> so uh, thanks for taking time to be here with me today, man. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Brian. Have a good one. That's it for this week's podcast, but I hope you'll come back and check out the next podcast as I continue to interview the guests, both uh, ska guests and literary guests that have inspired me and gotten me more and more into the scene. Until then... Thanks for hanging out here with the Rudy Librarian.